With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Breakfast on SEM. It is SEM Breakfast on this Tuesday, the 16th day of January. If you're just joining us, we've had a big show discussing all the hottest footy topics with our fill-in host doing a fine job, Phil Davis, if you don't mind. This morning, feeling comfortable, Phil? Feeling good? Uh, you're making it easy. It hasn't been too bad. I don't think I've said too much horribly wrong. So that's always a positive, we hope. The feedback hasn't been completely negative, so we like that too. No abuse off the temper text coming Phil's way either. So everyone oh, here basically comes. Agreeing, <laughs> agreeing with what he said. Uh, Australian Open is in a full swing. A man who has been there and done that for many, many years as he gears up for his final Australian Open. This time... He's playing doubles after his singles career came to an end in the lead up to the tournament. And then we're going to hear a lot more of him as a magnificent commentator. John Millman. John, thanks for your time. Not a problem at all. Well done, Phil. Doing a good job, mate. Oh, you're too kind, mate. Thanks for joining us. He's doing a great job. He's doing a great job, John. As are you, the the preparations for this, Aussie opening the doubles, I, I guess it's been a bit more relaxed. Yeah, look, mate, I'm a bit of a rubbish doubles player, if I'm to be honest with you. So uh, it's pretty easy to be relaxed when you when you rubbish at the net. Um, but no, look, it definitely started that transition already, doing a little bit of match calling, which has been great. And um, yeah, getting ready to, to try something new. Have you seen the changes? We've had, uh, I guess, mix, mixed feedback when you change things. Some fans love it, some don't. But the earliest start, scheduling changes and a bit a bit of adjustment for fans finding their seats, which we've discussed already this morning. Uh, your overview so far of the tournament? Oh, I mean, this tournament is massive. Um, there's a lot of moving cogs. I think the earliest start was really successful. What did we have? 85,000 people come through the gates on Saturday, on Sunday. I think it's here to stay. Only one other Grand Slam does that, and that's French Open. But I wouldn't be surprised with all those fans that come in on the weekend if uh, we don't start seeing an earlier start happen at the US Open in New York and Wimbledon, maybe not Wimbledon, they're pretty traditionalists over there. Mm. So you've obviously played so many years across the Australian Open, John. How have you seen the game grow and the buzz grow around? Have you seen like a big pickup around the Australian Open and tennis more broadly over the years? Yeah, look, I think the event has has really picked up. I think um, it's not so much of just a tennis event now. If you come to the grounds at the Australian Open, uh, it is an event. There's something to do for everyone. Some people come here and, you know, they're in the, the beer tents and, and they haven't, don't even watch a tennis ball being hit. But if that's your jam, then that's your jam. So this event just continues to grow. The facility out here is second to none. Um, and that's comparing that to, to, you know, all the other, the big, 
big grand slams. I guess now the, the, the main focus is from a tennis grassroots point of view, making sure we convert some of these numbers to pick up a racket and mm. play the game. It's a bit like, you know, my tennis really goes through the roof in January. Can we sustain that for a bit longer? <laughs> when you go on tour and you're talking to all the other guys in the, in the locker rooms, et cetera, where do they sit the Australian Open? Do they, do they enjoy the atmosphere or is it a bit different? Because obviously you've got the great history of Wimbledon um, and the French is so different with the clay. But where, where do the other tennis players see the Australian Open? Or is it, we're a bit biased that we think it's one of the best if not the best? No, no, it's definitely up there with one of the best. We got, you know, it's one of the four Grand Slams. So all the players are wanting to peak and they're wanting to perform at the Grand Slams. But it helps that it's in Melbourne. Um, Everyone stays in the city. Melbourne's a pretty easy place to like. There's plenty of restaurants, plenty of things to do. All the players love starting off the year here. They all complain a little bit that it's a bit too far away. But once they get here and settle in, they absolutely love it. Johnny Millman is with us, Australian retiring tennis player, having one last crack in the doubles, which we love, and then we'll hear a lot more of him as an excellent commentator. Hey, what's it like behind the scenes? Like, what's the food like? Do you have access to masseuses? Are you rubbing shoulders with the best of the best? Like, are you seeing Novak just walk past, just going about his business? Give us an insight to the fans that are wondering. Yeah, we're really at the pointy end here at the Australian Open. At these Grand Slams, it's as good as it gets. It's the Rolls-Royce treatment. You start to go down lower in the, in, the, in the tours, and I can tell you, you're not getting the massages and the, the physio treatment's not so good. So this is the Rolls-Royce. Right now, I'm actually at level three uh, in one of the main player hubs here, and you've got just about the pick of anything. In terms of food, if you go upstairs, there's the, the sushi bar, which we see a lot of tennis players at. They seem to think that's pretty good for them. That's pretty healthy for them. So you absolutely have everything you know you want and your heart's desire. It is the the creme de la creme. Um, we just got to make sure some of these smaller tournaments uh, provide you know some warmed up pizza instead of the cold stuff. <laughs> well, well, I'm always interested in, in sort of the surrounds of a tennis player because for a long time, Leighton Hewitt was the number one ticket holder at the Crows, and he used to come back and talk about almost what it was like if you're a top 60 player versus a bottom 60 player because the requirements I, I find amazing. You know, Kane touched on earlier. If you make it to the second round of the Australian Open, there's the check for $120,000, which I think obviously to everyone sounds amazing. But the cost base to be a professional tennis player is enormous. If you yep. could, I have a couple of questions. One, what's it like trying to bring a team around you and how difficult is that to, one, keep good people? And then, and secondly, if you could give me a ranking per se, what sort of number do you have to be in, in the yep. world to make really good money? Obviously not Djokovic number, but like enough money that like when you finish playing tennis, you have lots of options. Yeah, look, tennis has grown and it has developed, but still it's only really the top 100 players in the world that make money. Now, you know, top 100, we start to think, oh, that's all right. Well, there's over 200 countries that have competitive tennis players. So you probably have uh, 10, 20,000 players trying to get in this top 100, trying to get a rank. Now, some of them aren't that very aren't very good, but there's plenty of good ones that are outside of that mm. top 100. So uh, earlier days, I remember playing one of my first uh, professional tournaments. I've flown to Spain, so airfares, I've, I've done all that. I'm playing, I'm trying to stay somewhere. I had to win four matches to get through qualifying. Managed to do so, and I got 80 euros as my check after being dumped out after qualies. Now, I can tell you the flight was a little more than 80 euros, so I was sleeping <laughs> on the floor that night. But, yeah, the reality is in tennis, it is very top-end heavy. 
you look at the Australian Open, it's a lot of glitz and glamour and it's a beautiful event, but it's those top 100 players that are, that, that are making the money. My expenses, when I started to climb up and I'm incurring all of them, I'm paying for my flights, mm. I'm paying for my coach's accommodation, I'm paying for the coach. So my expenses were about 250 grand a year and that's mm. on me. So I have mm. to make sure I clear that and then I uh, start making a bit more money. I'll tell you what, it makes you winning at these types of events where there's a big paycheck on offer. You can feel the importance and you can feel the tension of the players when they come to these types of tournaments because they know that they have to cash in at mm. the Grand Slams. A hundred percent. And you can see some of our Aussies, they absolutely put it all out there uh, over five sets and some of them get almost to the line and then aren't able to, to overcome that. Are they addressing it? I know uh, there's a lot of talk um, from time to time about those conditions of the players outside the top hundred. Are they doing enough? Yeah, look, this this isn't actually the responsibility of the of the Grand Slams. This is uh, a responsibility of the broader tour. So on the men's side, we have the ATP tour. On the women's side, we have the WTA tour. Now, the Grand Slams, they're only a couple of weeks a year. The rest of the year is this ATP and WTA tour. The Grand Slams have done a really good job. They've tried to increase the prize money, but they've increased the prize money at the lower levels, at those, uh, at those qualifying levels. So... If you're playing qualifying here, you're probably about 100 to 220 in the world. So at least these guys are starting to get an injection of cash. And over my career, that's increased a lot. It's increased tenfold. So I think that that's a really good start. But the ATP and WTA, they need to get their act together a little more to make sure we can grow the game and make more people make, making money of it. Because in Australia, we get a little snapshot. It's only on the television screens one month a year. I think we forget how global this sport mm. is. It's incredibly difficult, it's challenging, and we've got some really good players that you don't see on the television screen because they're outside that 100, and they're doing it tough. Moving to more of the physical side, John, that really fascinates me. Obviously, you've played in the second week of a, of a major. We talked so far about the start times in terms of like at night when you know if you get on and you cop a, the, the second slot of yep. the night shift, you're playing every second day, sleep's interrupted, the change of directions, obscene, the power and that. Talk to me, what would the plays be feeling come, you know, the fourth round, come in the quarterfinals? Yep. How, how banged up are they? Because we sort of see them, a bit like in all sports, they sort of show up and you think, oh, yep. they just played tennis for three hours, they'll be fine in two days. But that comes around, a compromised sleep, they say, takes two nights to recover from, like you need two good nights to recover. What kind of shape physically are they in by the time we sort of get to the middle of that second week? Yeah, I can assure you that we're not taking hits like you guys were in footy. So I'm glad I haven't got bruises on me, which is a good thing. But yeah, look, it is very physically demanding. I think probably a, I think on on the women's side at Grand Slams, it's probably a little more mental demanding because they're they're playing the best of three, but they actually get a little bit longer than they normally would at other tournaments. In the men's, it's best of five sets, and and it can be really challenging. I remember when. I made my run um, to a quarterfinal, so deep into that second week mm. at, in Flushing Meadows. Um, by the end of it, I'd torn my obturator, so I'm playing against Novak with a torn obturator. Another one when I played here um, against Roger at the Australian Open, I was playing with a torn calf. So it's all these little wears and tears that, that happen. Now, if you're very good, and I probably wasn't, I wasn't good enough, but those, uh, it, you get that form of conditioning by having sustained success. So Novak's body is more adapted to, say, mine was when oh, I went yeah. for a deep run at a Grand Slam. Then someone, uh, uh, Novak's used to it. So his body kind of gets that natural attrition. It gets that adaption process. 
but it's difficult. I struggled with it. Unfortunately, though, too, you have to look at game styles. And I wasn't the type of player that could win too many free points. I wasn't good enough. So I had to really <laughs> battle my way through through the matches. I had to bring a level of physicality because if I wasn't doing that, I wasn't winning too many matches. Just quickly Googling what an obturator is, John. Yeah, over near the uh, the hip groin area. Yeah, it was. Uh, oh, I had to go and play sick. Davis Cup after that and um, really battling. I'm, I was thinking it was just a bit of DOMS, but the DOMS didn't go away. So we went and got a scan and... Uh, Oh, yeah, a little more serious, but that happens. That's, and you're only playing Novak. That's, that's, that was the easy bit. Bilateral yeah, yeah, exactly. triangular... Is, this is what it says here. Bilateral triangular-shaped muscles originating in the pelvis and inserting onto the femur. Sounds nasty. Hey, uh, before we let you go, Leighton Hewitt's role in all of this and, and the strength yep. of Aussie men's tennis in particular at the moment. Yeah, massive role. Him, Tony Roach, I have to say, has done an incredible job. And they're obviously doing something right back in the day in New South Wales. Eight of the top 100 um, that we have uh, are heralding from New South Wales. But that kills me as a Queenslander to say that. But Leighton, that Davis Cup space in particular, has really tried to build that culture. And I think we're seeing that they've made back-to-back Davis Cup finals, which, um, you know, this is one of the oldest teams events in the world. And our boys are really kicking goals there. I know he's desperately wanting to win one of those ones and maybe next year's the year with, uh, with Alex Demonar at the helm, top 10 now. I'm hoping Alex mm. goes for a deep run. Yeah, tell, tell me your confidence levels in that. Through to the, the second round after the walkover last night against Milos Raonic, he's going to play an unseeded Italian by the name of Analdi. Do you know much about him and uh, what are his chances of going deep here? Yeah, a bit of a revenge match for Alex. He didn't play him, but Analdi was uh, kicked things off and just got over Alec, uh, Alexi Popperin uh, in that first round rubber at the, in the Davis Cup finals. And now he actually has, he's got an Australian tie. He's got a, a girlfriend that uh, lives over at South Yarra. So he was um, here for, for much of Christmas, most of December. He spends a bit more time in Australia than most of the uh, Italian tennis players. But Alex is playing some really good tennis. I was there firsthand to see him at the United Cup. Um, he knocked off guys like Taylor Fritz. He obviously knocked off Novak Djokovic and got a win over Zverev too. So he's playing really well. I would say in the locker room and talking to him, he seems more calm than I've seen him coming into an Australian Open. And I think that calmness is, is confidence. Confidence in his game, confidence in, uh, in his ability and confidence that he's top 10 and one of the guys to beat. Excellent summary, mate. I love catching up with you. appreciate your time. Good luck in in your doubles, and uh, we'll hear more from you throughout the tournament, no doubt. Thanks for having me, lads. John Millman uh, wore his heart on his sleeve and gave it all physically. Uh, Never could have gone to bed thinking, gee, could I have given it more out there uh, today? Uh, Nah, he got the most out of himself. That was our McCafe McCafe coffee catch-up. Barista-made ice-cold drive-through for your iced coffee favourites at McCafe. John Millman, our guest.